I'm excited to be here again. Uh, myself, I know I enjoy my time being here at Discovery. I know my wife, Kaziah, who is here today, enjoys being here at Discovery as well. She's very involved in the food pantry, the mobile food thing you guys got going on. Uh, so we're excited to be here. Uh, so thank you for having me. I invite you now to stand, as if you're able, uh, to hear God's word this morning. Our word from God uh, comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard about, or which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. God's very word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You know, I, uh, I'm not much of a Starbucks guy, right? I'm from Canada, so I much prefer Tim Hortons, right? If, you, if you've never experienced Tim Hortons before, I highly recommend you do so. Uh, but my wife, uh, who is also from Canada, for some reason, loves her Starbucks. She loves her Starbucks. And the other day, I was dropping her off at the VIS offices where she's been volunteering now for, for a few months. But she says, Ryan, before we go to VIS, can, can we go to Starbucks so I can get a drink and grab some food? And I say, as a good husband, sure, darling. Let's go to Starbucks. So we hop in the Starbucks drive through line. And something you got to know about me also is I get pretty anxious when I have to order Kaziah's drink at Starbucks because there's like nine steps to constructing this drink. And when you're paying six, seven dollars for a drink, you want it to be perfect. So I am reciting this drink order over and over and over while we wait in line. And as I'm doing so, it dawns on me that after I drop Kaziah off at VIS, I'm going back to InSpirit. And Jessica, who's on staff at InSpirit, also loves Starbucks. So I thought, I'm going to be nice, and I'll text her. Jessica, do you want anything from Starbucks? And of course, I don't hear back from Jessica until we get to the speaker. The person at Starbucks says, what can I get started for you? And I get the text message from Jessica that simply says, yup, <laughs> yup, I want Starbucks. So not only am I stressed because now I have to perform Kaziah's order, now I have a text message that simply says, yup, so Jess, what is it that you want? Text her really quickly and now I got a stall. What, what can I get for you? And I rattle off Kaziah's order. 
Can I get you anything else? Yep. <laughs> what else can I get for you? Can I get, and then I rattle off Kaziah's food order. Anything else? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what else can I get for you? And I haven't heard back from Jessica yet, so now I have to order something. Can I get a, can I get a, a, a latte? What size? Grande. Anything else? Yep. <laughs> What else can I get for you? And then thankfully, Jessica sends this, this message, this text message back that says, can I get a, a white chocolate mocha? A white chocolate mocha, perfect. Can I get a white chocolate mocha? And the, the, the weight of the world feels like it's just been lifted off my shoulders. I've done it. I have finished the Starbucks order. I'm good. But then the Starbucks lady asked the do or die, life or death question, do you want that white chocolate mocha hot or cold? And I'm like, I... At this point, there is a line that's wrapped around Starbucks. The person who's working at Starbucks has grown very impatient with me, so it's like, give me both. <laughs> I'll take both. <laughs> Just give me both. And I do, and whatever, we, we, get the, we get the order, and whatever, we get Kaziah to Vis, and I go back, and I'm like, here, just take them. And, and, and I share with her my experience at Starbucks, and, and deep down, I'm kind of hoping she's like, oh, I'm sorry, Ryan. You know, I, I didn't mean to put you through so much stress. But instead, what I was met with was, I don't want this cold one. What, it's always hot. Always get the hot drink. Who, who gets a white chocolate mocha cold? And I said, who, who sends a Starbucks order in 45-second text, me text message intervals? That doesn't happen. And we went back and forth, and it was this funny interaction. But the reason I share with you this story is because when something that is supposed to be together, like a Starbucks order, gets separated things get confusing, things get lost. In the book of Acts, the book in which we find ourselves in this morning, the book of Acts is really a sequel. It's meant to be read alongside of the book of Luke, right? The, the author is the same, Dr. Luke, and, and Luke, he writes the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and then he follows it up with the book of Acts. But he assumes that you haven't been reading straight through this whole time. So right at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, he gives us this, this previously in the book of Luke introduction. And he says in Acts 1 verse 1 again, it says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That key word right in the beginning of Acts 1, that the, the key word is began. All that Jesus began to do and began to teach. The way Luke describes his first book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, that's just the beginning. The book of Acts is what God is going to continue to do. And if we read on in the book of Acts, and if I'm not mistaken, you'll be looking at Acts 2 next week. Um, but Luke compiles all of these stories of how a ragtag group of people, by the power of the Holy Spirit, change everything. But today we're in Acts 1, and if you're taking notes this morning, my first takeaway is this, is that we are here for the mission. We are here, we exist for the mission. Again, Acts 1, starting in verse 1, going through verse 3, it says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. If we stop here for just a second, that little phrase, 
many convincing proofs. By many proofs is interesting because Luke is talking about, he's saying that at the end of my first book, I included many stories that prove that Jesus was actually resurrected from the dead. And not spiritually resurrected, but actually physically resurrected from the dead. So if we go back to the end of Luke, we hear this story of two guys, and, and they're walking, and they're on their way to Emmaus, and they're talking, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? Did you hear that this guy died, and, and, he, and he rose again from the dead? Do you believe that that happened? And then the story tells us that Jesus, he begins walking alongside of them, but they have no idea who he is. And so they start asking him, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus goes, no, well, tell me, what happened? What happened? And, and they said, well, this guy, he, he rose from the dead. Do you believe it happened? And, and then the story continues, and they're, they're eating, and they're sharing a meal together. And that's when they finally understand that this is Jesus, but then Jesus disappears before them. And now they're in a little bit of a pickle. So they go and they tell the disciples, the 11 disciples, everything that they had just seen, everything that they had just experienced. And now the disciples, they too are in a pickle. What do we do? Do we believe this to be true? Did this really happen? Or are people hallucinating? So at the end of the book of Luke, the disciples, they're gathered together. And it tells us that Jesus appeared before them and they think he's a ghost. Because of course you would. Right? People don't physically rise from the dead. It must be a ghost. But Jesus says, hey guys, how's it going? Hey, let me make something very clear first and foremost. I'm not a ghost. This is real uh, flesh. This is real bones. Come here, touch my hands, touch my feet. I'm real. And by the way, I'm hungry. Do you guys have any food? And it tells us that they rejoice and they're thrilled and they share this meal. These are the proofs that are being mentioned here in Acts chapter 1. And then it says he spoke about the kingdom of God for 40 days. So it's like this intense like 40-day Bible camp led by Jesus himself. And then it says in verses 4 to 5, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, look, you guys, I want you to stick around here in Jerusalem for a little bit because I got a gift for you. It's the Holy Spirit. Remember, I promised that to you. And so they gather around. They say, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a completely natural question for them to ask. Remember, uh, remember all the, the promises in the Old Testament about how God was going to come and he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, heaven on earth when the Messiah came, right? That is what was promised to him. We get verses like Micah 4, chapter 4. It says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will stream to it. The peoples that are being mentioned here are the people outside of Israel. And it says they are going to stream to Israel. And it says many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Again, these are the nations who are saying this. The people who are outside of Israel, the ones who have been at war, the ones who have been fighting with Israel, are going to go to Israel because the one true God is there. 
And it says, The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. And then jumping ahead to verse 8 in Micah 4, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion. And here it is. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. There will be no more war. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more arguments. There will be no more Republican. There will be no more Democrat. There will be none of it. And whoever you think your enemy might be in this moment, whether it be a person, whether it be a nation, it's done. No more. It's over. That is the kingdom of God that is coming. And the, these disciples, they knew it. The Jews knew that this is what was supposed to happen when the Messiah comes. So you understand why in Acts 1 they ask, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because again, that is what was promised to them. Heaven on earth, bring it on down. But Jesus responds to them and says, well, it's not for you to know the time or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And I think so many people in our world today have tried to um, guess the time or, or try to come up with the time Jesus is going to return. And time after time after time again, they have been proven to be wrong because quite clearly that time is not for us to know. So that begs the question, what do we do now? What do we do with this time now and the time where Jesus will come again and restore his kingdom in the full? What do we do with this gap of time? Well, it tells us, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, hey guys, here's the plan. Right now, you're in Jerusalem, and you're going to be here for a little bit, but soon I'm going to send you out first to the people of Jerusalem, but then I'm going to send you to all of Judea. And then you know your neighbors, the ones that you can't stand, the ones that you think are half-breeds, Samaria? Well, you're going to go there. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth. So it's like God is saying, look, we're here in Grand Rapids right now, and first we're going to go to the people of Grand Rapids, but then we're going to go to all of Michigan, and then we're going to go to Ohio, and then we're going to go to the ends of the earth, and we're going to do it together. That's the plan. Between my return, and, 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 or between now and my return, you are going to go and you are going to teach and you are going to testify about everything you have seen, everything you have heard, everything you have experienced. You're going to share it because that's what witnesses do. They share the news. They share the gospel. And the gospel is the best news in the whole world. It ought to be shared with others. But so many people, they come up to me and be like, Ryan, Pastor Ryan, I can't do that. I'm just going to live it out. I'm not going to share it. I'm just going to live the gospel. And to that, I say, perfect. Do it. Awesome. The gospel should impact the way we live. But at some point, you're going to have to share it. Because otherwise, how are people going to know why you are living the way you are living? 
They are never going to understand that it is Jesus is the reason why you are living this lifestyle. You're going to have to share it, but then they'll say, I, I, Ryan, I can't do that. How am I supposed to share? Well, it tells us you're going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. My point is this, that the reason God didn't immediately usher in the physical reign of Christ is so that you and I, His church, would preach the gospel to all nations. The mission of God is the reason we are here. It is the purpose for you and me and His church. And again, we do it together. But, but I think what happens, uh, I think of like Costco, for example. I think of Costco. We, we all know what Costco is about, right? If you haven't been to Costco, let me know. I'll take you. It's a blast. Right? But you go to Costco, usually with one thing in mind. You go to Costco needing something, but you show up, you get one of those mega-sized Costco carts, and you walk in, and the first thing you see are those 75-inch uh, flat-screen LED smart TVs. You came for milk, but you see the TVs, and you're like, oh, man, I could probably use one of these TVs. This would look really good in the bedroom. Uh, so you take that, and you put that in the cart, and then you keep walking, and it's like batteries. I don't know if I need 50 AA batteries right now, but I might need them at some point. You put those in the cart, and you keep walking, and you see clothes. It's like $2 Puma pants. Better put those in the cart. And, and, then, and then you go and you to the meat section. It's meat you've never even heard of, but it's like $2, so you put that in the cart. And then you get the toilet paper, and you get the diet Dr. Pepper, and you go and you check out, and the lady has the audacity to ask you, did you find everything okay? And it's like, I think so. And you pay, and then you go and you get one of those $1.50 hot dogs and the drink, right? And then maybe you buy new tires because it's still snowing and you need new tires. I don't know. And you go and you put it in your car and you drive home and your spouse says, did you get the milk? And you're like, oh, no, I've been Costco'd, right? Yes, you have just been Costco'd. You go in with the mission, but you've got distracted by so many other things, and they're cool things, and they could be good things, but that's not the reason you went. You went for the milk. But my fear is the church in North America, and really the church in the Western world, has been perpetually Costco'd. We have a mission. We are here for a purpose, to be his witness to the entire world, but we get distracted by so many other things, and we look back and we forgot the milk. Do you have the milk? We're here for the mission. We have to ask ourselves, is this what we're committed to? Are we so aggressively committed to the mission of God that he has called us into? Does it take priority over your lives? Does it take priority in your prayers? Does it take priority in your giving? Does it take priority over all of your other priorities? Again, we are here for that mission. And my second takeaway, if you're taking notes, is God himself empowers us. God himself empowers us to fulfill it. Again, in verse 8 it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that's really the big point here. You are going to get the power when the Holy Spirit comes 
upon you, and the result is you will be my witness. You will be my witness. The witnessing is drawn from the power of the Holy Spirit. Right, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit is directly tied to the mission that God calls us into. In other words, God empowers what He commands. So what stops us? What stops you? We have the power of the living God living within us. What stops us? I know for me, you know, being a pastor, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have all the right answers. Right, they're going to be like, wow, Ryan, you're a pastor. You don't know this. And they'll look down upon me. Or, and maybe they won't come to church and they won't come to know Jesus because I don't have all the answers they're looking for. I don't know. That's my fear. What's, what's your fear? Maybe you share the same fear as me. Maybe you're afraid of what other people might think of you. But again, I don't know what it is, but we think that if we aren't perfect, we aren't capable of engaging in the mission. But if I can, just for a second, jump to Acts 2 for a bit. Acts 2, verse 47, and it says, The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was happening? People were being saved. Who was doing the work? The Lord added to their number each day. Acts 16, verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, kingly garments, garments meant for royalty. So she's like this high-end fashion designer in Paris. And it says that she's a worshiper of God, meaning she's kind of on the outskirts of the community. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to, resp uh, to respond to Paul's message. Who did that? The Lord did. Paul spoke a message, but the Lord did the work. Right, Exodus 4, verses 11 through 12, God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to proclaim my message to Pharaoh. I know uh, Pharaoh is kind of the most uh, powerful human being on earth right now, but don't worry, I'm with you. And Moses says, God, I can't do that. Are you kidding me? I can't even speak clearly. You're going to have to find someone else. And God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who gave human beings their sight? The Lord did. So go and I will be with you, and I will give you wisdom in what to share and what to speak. Right? It's all over the Bible that you and I are not the ones who are in charge of convincing people to follow Christ. That's God. That's the work of the Lord. Success in the mission for us is not necessarily tied to the conversion, but it's the sharing the sharing to your friends, to your, to your neighbors, to your family members, to your co-workers, to the people at school with you, I don't know, that's success. That's success in the mission, and you leave it up to God at that point. So no, you don't have to be afraid of having all the answers. You don't have to be afraid of what other people might think of you. It's all God. 
using our mouths to do it. So the mission of God is why we're here. It is the purpose we are here. God himself empowers us to fulfill it. And then my final takeaway this morning is that standing and staring will not help. Standing and staring will not help. Verse 9, it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? That question, why do you stand here looking into the sky, is not a question looking for an answer. It is a rhetorical question. It is a rebuke. Like when Keziah tells me, Ryan, take out the trash, and I sit there and I continue watching YouTube, and Keziah comes back into the room and says, Ryan, why are you still sitting here? I know at that point she's not looking for an answer. She's telling me to get up and take that trash to the dumpster. Why are you still standing here looking up into the sky? Jesus just gave you the mission. What is the mission? To go. And what are you doing? You are standing and you are staring. But, but it's so beautiful. It's so amazing, everything that we are seeing. Yes, true, but this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So there is going to be a time when Jesus is going to return. Right? And he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It's going to come in its fullness, but that's not now. There is a gap of time that exists between now and then, and you're standing and you're staring when you should be going. Standing and staring is not going to help. And I'll be honest, I think we can get so focused on all other things. We can get distracted. And we can get distracted on good things, good Christian things. But we have to ask ourselves, where's the milk? Did you get the milk? Are you engaged in the mission? Because there's a job to do. Where? Wherever there's people. Wherever there's people, there is the mission. In big cities, small towns, everything in between, there is the mission. That is what we are here for. But again, distracted by so many other things. Comfort, success, influence, power, wealth, things like family, all great things. Great things. It could be things like we get distracted with worship styles and, and, and how we're going to gather on Sunday mornings and what the church is going to look. Great things should be a part of the conversation. Family, all this stuff, good, great. But do you have the milk? Do you have the milk? Are you engaged in the mission? Because remember, we are here for the milk. We are here for the purposes of God. So if I can close with this, this is a short quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, 
let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Standing and staring is not going to help. We are here for the mission. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to fulfill those purposes. And brothers and sisters at Discovery, we do so together. Amen? Will you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. Acts chapter 1. Lord, we, we apologize for the many times where we have fallen short of what you desire for our lives. For the many times we uh, get distracted. And we can get distracted by some good things sometimes, but Lord, I pray that we are always reflecting, always asking, are we engaged in the mission? Did we get the milk? We apologize again for those moments, Lord. I pray that you would forgive us, and I pray that we would... Um, be empowered by your Spirit to do your will in the world around us. Whatever it is that we are holding on to that we're, that, we're, that we're afraid of, whether it be having the right answers, whether that be afraid of what other people might think or what other people might say, maybe relinquish, relinquish that to you. We give those things to you as we remember that you are with us and you are for us. And we look forward to the time where you will come again. When the kingdom will be uh, brought in its fullness. Well, there will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more arguments. There will be no more wars. But we recognize that that is not now. There is a gap of time and we are here for a purpose. Again, by the power of your Holy Spirit, will you equip us to do your will as your church in a world that is in so desperate, uh, desperately in need of hope and your love and your goodness and your faithfulness. Again, Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that it would be your word that is heard this morning, not mine, but yours, and that you would give us the, the minds and the ears and the hearts to listen and absorb and to live out. Again, Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you continue to do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.